Yeah, the Christian journey is one from brokenness into beautiful, from the depths of depravity up to the heights of heaven, God's beautiful story of redemption. This um, is with, I'm with Paul McKinley. Paul is um, the husband of Sharon, father of nine, grandfather. He is a good man. Um, He is Sharon's valentine. Um, You know, they say there's three phases in a man's life. One is when he hears about Santa Claus. Second is when he believes in Santa Claus. And the third is when he looks like Santa Claus. (laughs) Paul's arrived. So Paul's going to, he's going to, this sermon's entitled Abraham and Us. It really could be about Abraham and Paul. We're going to talk about Abraham's journey, Paul's journey, Romans chapter 4. We'll be there in just a moment. A preacher long departed from the faith, the truth of the gospel, told the following story to summarize what he believed was true. He was preaching to a rural crowd in the country, a farming crowd, and uh, where the, it was customary for the farmers to milk their cows, and the milk would be in a pail. So it seems that a frog fell into the pail of milk. And um, though he tried every conceivable way to get jump out, he always failed. The sides of the pail were just too high, and because he was floating around in the milk, he couldn't get enough leverage for the big leap. So he did the only thing he knew how to do. He worked, and he worked, and he worked. He paddled, and he paddled, and he paddled some more. And voila, his paddling had uh, created a pad of butter from which he could launch himself to freedom. You see, the little frog worked and worked and worked himself till he got free. Now, we could smile at that little story, but we would think that most people, if you ask them about their hope, they would say that they're not perfect, they have flaws, like we all have flaws, and they have issues. But if you do your best, you'll make it to heaven. There's a country song by Alan Jackson. It's called Where I Come From. Because where I come from, it's cornbread and chicken. Where I come from, it's a lot of front porch picking. Where I come from, it's people trying to make a living. And where I come from, it's people trying to get to heaven. You know, there's actually places in the South, if you went to the South, the second question they asked you would be, where do you go to church? I wonder when the last time someone asked you that question. Jewish people in Paul's day were trying to get to heaven. I don't know how much cornbread and chicken they were eating. They probably ate their kosher foods, but they were circumcised. They were religious going to synagogue services, being bar mitzvah. The Jewish people at the time of Paul believed that Abraham was the prime example of a man who was justified by his works. He was good enough to be justified by God. The Mishnah said that Abraham, our father, had performed the whole law before it was given, for it was written, Abraham heard my voice and kept my laws. Now we know a little bit about the story of Abraham, don't we? that he was severely tested. And when he was tested, he lived by faith, and he offered up Isaac, his son, on Mount Moriah. But Jews believed that Abraham performed the law before it was written. He was perfect in all of his deeds and was in no need of repentance. So, <clears throat> question I'm going to ask is, <clears throat> what was Abraham's faith all about? We read in Romans chapter 4, Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of our Jewish nation. What did he discover about being made right with God? 
If his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have something to boast about, but surely not with God. It seems as if we've got a lot of bragging going on in our world, don't we? If you go on social media, you'll see people bragging about how tidy their house is, boasting about having OCD. It's so silly. I have OCD and my house is so tidy. Real OCD is crippling. No person should wish that on themselves. People brag about being from a certain state. I'm proud to be from Texas, they say. A friend of mine says, you never have to ask if someone's from Texas. If they are, they'll tell you. And if they're not, they're too ashamed to admit it. People brag about their sports teams, right? Tampa Bay. They took to the streets, the Buck fans, after the Super Bowl, drank too much alcohol, said, we won, we did it. We're the champions of the world. In reality, they didn't do anything. A bunch of people they had never met, who don't even live in the city where they live, won the championship for them. Some people like to brag about how much hot sauce they can eat. You've tried the ultra-hot, painful death insanity sauce. I had it, and it wasn't even hot. People like to brag about watching a movie before it hits the market. Watching a movie before it's released is not cool, it's illegal. Some people like to brag about their television. I haven't watched TV in 10 years. And some people like to brag about the fact they've got five TVs in their house. Some people like to brag about the fact that I don't know how to cook or brag about their cooking. You know, I used to believe I was a sous chef before I understood what a sous chef is. I'm just the guy that chops up the vegetables. Some people like to brag about how much they drink. I'm so hungover. Some people like to brag about their family members, who their father is, what their children have achieved. To get into this Jewish mindset, if you're, you were part of the Jewish nation, the father of the nation was Abraham. Everyone in their 12 tribes could trace their lineage to Abraham. They saw themselves as descendants of Abraham. Now, we would say the father of our nation is George Washington, right? He served twice as president. He was the general of the revolution. He, um, we have a city named after him, Washington, D.C., George Washington University. But in America, we don't trace our lineage, at least all of us, to him. Question number one, what was Abraham's condition when God found him? Did Abraham have something to boast about? If he could boast, Paul says, hypothetically, because he kept the law, he could boast before men, but he could not boast before God because God knew the truth about Abraham. Abraham's given name wasn't Abraham, it was Abram, meaning exalted father. Abram lived in Mesopotamia, between the Tigris and Euphrates rivers, the Ur of the Chaldees. What we know about the Mesopotamian area was there were ziggurats, and they worshipped the moon. Abram was a moon worshiper, an idolater. He married a woman named Sarai, probably young in their teens somewhere, and they hoped to have a family. They hoped through their 20s and their 30s to have children, and then their 40s and 50s, no one was asking questions. By the time they were in their 60s and 70s, it seemed impossible. Sarah was, in, was barren. 
They were infertile. They were childless. And God spoke to Abram when he was 75 years old. This is Genesis 12. The Lord said to Abram, he said, leave your native country, your relatives, your father's family. Leave behind your old life. Leave behind your idolatry and your immorality. Leave behind your country and your relatives. You see, Abram was a man of the world, a man of the nations. And God in his sovereign grace had chosen him and plucked him out of this world. Leave behind everything that's familiar to you, Abram, and come to a place I will show you. Just as so many have left their native country and come to this place, to a place they'd never seen before, with the hope of being here in this country. So many in our church have come from other places to be here. And I will make you into a great nation, was the promise. Now, there's three areas of blessing in the covenant God makes with Abram. The first is of a national blessing. God promises to make a nation out of Abram. Abram and Sarah were childless. Abram had never been the father of one child. And the Lord says, I will make you into a great nation. The second promise is a promise of personal blessing. I will bless you and make you famous. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing to others. Abram, I will give to you divine protection, enormous wealth and fame. Do you know that 60% of the world's population has Abram as their father? The Jews, the Muslims and Christians all can take back their faith to Abraham. By the time he was an old man, the Lord had blessed him in every way. You know, the Lord has blessed me with so many things. The Lord has blessed me with a good wife, Debbie. I call her my COVID buddy. With four amazing adult children, all living with their faith. With four amazing spouses. With six grandchildren. With good health that God has restored to me. With a great staff. With great elders around. With a great church. The Lord has blessed us to be a blessing to others. And the third was the most significant of all the blessings, the messianic blessing, that all the families of the earth will be blessed by you. Through the line of Abraham would one day come Messiah. Now this was a huge leap of faith to believe that a man without children would have children. A man without a nation would be the father of his nation. The man without blessing would come under the blessing of God and that one day one of his kids would be the Messiah. But was when, when Abram was just 75 years old, these promises were made. But when he turned 85, 10 years later, he had a conversation with God. It's found in Genesis 15. He said, O sovereign Lord, what good are all these blessings I have? I don't have a son. I'm famous, and everybody knows me. I'm wealthy. You've increased my flocks. I'm blessed with good health. I'm protected from my enemies. You see, God had made a promise to Abraham 10 years before that had not been fulfilled. He said, you have given me no descendants of my own. So he said, one of my servants will be my heir. And the Lord said, no, your servant will not be your heir. You will have a son of your own body who will be your heir. And the Lord took Abram outside and he said, look up into the sky. Look onto the horizon from horizon to horizon and the stars if you can. 
And that's how many descendants you will have. And the scripture records in Genesis 15, 6, Abram believed in the Lord, and the Lord counted him righteous because of his faith. The word counted is a financial term. It meant to be credited to, to put to one's account. Abram believed and God credited righteousness to Abraham's spiritual account. God said, give me your checkbook, and God credited to his account. Give me your Zell account, and let me credit to your account righteousness. At the moment he believed, at the moment you believe, God credits you with righteousness. The same happens to us as believers. The method of becoming righteous hasn't changed. It's always been by grace through faith in God. So let's say this is my Starbucks card, and it has nothing on it. This is true. It has nothing on it. But somebody wanted to give a gift of, say, $50. That $50 could be added to this card where now on the account is something that can be used. You see, what God does when a person believes is he puts something into their account called righteousness. So we turn now to our brother Paul and ask the question, when God found you, how did he find you, Paul? Well, good morning. It's an honor to be here with you this morning just to share uh, the testimony of how God had been good to me. Literally, it was almost 34 years ago in September that God met me on the road to Damascus. I was 24 years old. The bad news was at that time my life was completely unraveling. I was lost. I was alone. Uh, my family abandoned me. My, my wife left me, uh, took my two-year-old daughter. Uh, I ended up homeless uh, due to some bad choices of alcohol, drugs. Uh, I was an alcoholic. Uh, I tried to escape my misery by filling myself up with alcohol, with drugs, with sex, uh, whatever it was to escape the reality uh, and my misery, of my misery at that time, um, until I met the Lord on that road, uh, roughly about 4 a.m., but I'll save that good news uh, for later. <laughs> so where God found Paul... So where he finds us, broken and lost. And so we ask the next question, how was Abraham saved? And there we find the words by faith, the soul of feed. The rabbinic narr narrative was that Abraham was perfect in all of his deeds with the Lord and was pleasing in righteousness. Would you agree with the rabbis? Was Abraham a perfect man? Now, to be perfect, you never mess up. Did Abraham ever mess up in his journey? Let's consider for a moment the record from Genesis 12 to 24. Genesis records that when Abram began to walk with God, he came to the land of Canaan, and there he was a worshiper, and he made altars to the Lord because God would speak to him. But there was a famine in the land, and so he took his wife Sarah down to Egypt. And when they came to the border of Egypt, Abram was afraid the Egyptians would kill him. So he asked Sarah to lie. He said, say you are my sister and I am your brother. 
They'll look at you. You are a beautiful woman. And when the Egyptians see how beautiful you are, they'll kill me and they'll have you. So please tell them you're my sister. Then they'll spare my life and treat me well. The truth is that Abram wasn't perfect. None of us are perfect. Abram was human. And we must remember that good and godly people still are imperfect. Abram did fail on occasion. What happened in the story was that he became afraid. He wanted to save his own neck. And he put his wife at great risk. She was taken into the harem of Pharaoh. And Abram was given great and generous gifts. He became very wealthy down in Egypt. And then there was a plague that came upon uh, Pharaoh's house. And Pharaoh said, why did you lie to me? Why didn't you tell me the truth? Leave this land. So Abram was uh, confronted by Pharaoh. Was Abram perfect? Well, go forward another 10 years in life. He had now the promise that God would give him a son from his body. He had waited 10 years and grew impatient. Abram now was 85 and Sarah was 75. They'd been married a long time. And God had made a promise, but they had no child. So Sarah gets an idea. I have an Egyptian girl named Hagar. I'm frustrated. Let's let Hagar get pregnant. Maybe we can help God out. Sarah's barrenness was seen as a great tragedy in ancient culture. It was a sign of a success to have children. It was a sad failure to have none. So God had made a promise and hadn't delivered the promise. So Sarah began to scheme. She had this female slave from Egypt. Behold, the Lord has prevented me from having children. Go into my servant, and maybe I can obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of his wife. There was a custom in that day that if a wife could not bear a child, she could ask the servant girl for her husband to be a surrogate to Mary, who would serve in that regard. And the child born to the surrogate would belong to the first wife. What we find then from the biblical record is that Abram was not a perfect man, that his faith began when he believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now, the third question, what's the difference between biblical faith and works? Look at verses 4 and 5. It says, when people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they have earned. But people are counted as righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. First of all, Paul had used Abraham as an example. And now he wants to illustrate that life by this principle. So if you are hired and you agree to a salary, you put in your hours, mostly now virtually online, and you're paid your wages. And you're employer owes you something. You deserve to be paid. You've earned your wages. But people are not counted righteous before God because of their work, working for their salvation, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. Now, this is shocking because we think that if a person is good, they deserve to be rewarded. Paul is saying that there is nobody who is good enough to earn their salvation. We don't get salvation because we are good enough. We get salvation because God is gracious enough. Working has to do with striving, with earning, with deserving, with being owed, with achieving. 
salvation is not something achieved. Salvation is something received. Faith has to do with believing and receiving. To say that God justifies the wicked, literally the ungodly, violates everything the Jews believed. They believed they earned their righteousness by being circumcised, by keeping the law. They got their righteousness the old-fashioned way by earning it. Now, you talk to an average person, and you ask, if you were to die tonight and stand before God, and he were to ask you, why should I let you into heaven? What would he say to you? So let me ask you the question. If you were to stand before God, and God were to say to you, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say to him? Most would say, I've tried my best to be good. <laughs> I've lived a good life. I've been a good person. I've been a good wife. I've been a good friend. I've been a good husband. I've tried to be a good Christian. I believe God and I do his will. The answer is either they get salvation by their works or salvation is faith plus works. The best answer to the question is, because of what Jesus Christ has done for me. I am trusting in Jesus Christ alone for my salvation. I believe that he died for me on the cross. I believe that he rose again from the dead. They asked Billy Graham the question, why do you think, Billy, this is the last interview before he passed, why do you think, Billy, God will let you into heaven? He says, it won't be because I preach to great crowds. It won't be because I traveled the world. It won't be because I lived a good life, but it will be because many years ago I put my trust in Jesus Christ who died on the cross to make forgiveness possible and rose again to give me eternal life. God wants to put something in your account. When you believe that Jesus did what Jesus did and you claim it as yours, credit for his life and death gets put to his to your account. The word in Greek is logizomai, a banking term. It means to put something into your account. Now, I have a joint checking account with my son, Josh. He is 25, and he's married. He lives in Birmingham. But uh, let's say that Josh has zero in his account, which is not far from the truth. But Josh and his wife are sleeping on the floor. They don't have a bed. And so news has reached me that he's on the floor without a bed. And with the magic of online banking, Debbie and I can put something in his account. We can drop $500 into his account. And now Josh will have the means to buy a bed. You see, Debbie and I can put something in his account, which was zero, and now has 500 with which he can buy a bed. If we only are forgiven, what happens is the debt is erased, you see. But if we are granted righteousness, now something awesome has been put into your account, righteousness. You see, what God, when he justifies you, he declares you righteous. That's just as if you've never sinned, just as if you've lived a righteous life. The righteousness of Christ gets put to your account. So the gospel speaks to both erasing our debt, which is forgiveness, and putting something to our account, namely righteousness, through justification. 
What did David discover when he sinned? Look at verse 6. David also spoke of this when he described the happiness of those who were declared righteous without working for it. Apparently, David had an experience with God where God declared him righteous when he didn't deserve it. It appears as if David deserved something other than forgiveness and righteousness. He deserved judgment and God's wrath. What happened? Well, David went across the line. He did what we all do when we said yes, when we should have said no, when we looked, when we shouldn't have looked, when we did stuff on debt, dates that we regret, when we moved in when we shouldn't have moved in, we conceived children before it was time. There's a long list of things we've done stepping over the line. In David's case, he was the king. It was the spring of the year. And he went out on the rooftop. And he looked off the rooftop, and there he saw the beautiful Bathsheba bathing. And David didn't turn away. He continued to look. And he lusted. And he took what wasn't his. And he invited her back to his place, and they committed adultery. And then, to cover up, David ordered her husband be killed. She sent word to David, I'm pregnant. And David was confronted by the prophet who said, you're the man. And David confessed his sin. And this is what he says in verse 7. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the person the Lord will never charge with sin. He calls himself lawless. I wonder how many here would call themselves lawless. God gave us the moral law with the Ten Commandments. David knew well the laws of God. He wrote Psalm 119 to celebrate the law. But David had broken the laws of God and David had become lawless. He speaks of himself as having done lawless deal, deeds. The law was given to reveal the holy nature of God, what's right and what's wrong. The law is imprinted on every person's soul with their conscience. Intuitively, we know what is right and what is wrong. But David had violated the law and conscience when he did what he did. Now he's in a predicament because there was no solution for his sin. You see, there's no remedy for premeditated murder in the law. The only way sins could be covered is if God did something about it. The only way he could not be charged with his sin is someone else was charged in his place. And Paul says that just like David, our sins, which deserve death, are going to be covered by Jesus' blood. And we will never be charged with them because he was charged in our place. You see, what I'm talking to you about is the fact that David was a sinner, but he was forgiven by the grace of God. Somehow, the blood of Jesus would cover the sins of David as they covered the sins of Abraham, as they covered all who would trust in him. Everybody knew that Abraham was a good man, and everybody knew that David was a good man, but they were sinners. They weren't good enough to be saved on their own. They would need the grace of God to be saved, just like each one of us does. David had coveted. 
David had committed adultery, David had lied, and David had committed murder, and God forgave him. So we turn now to Paul. Paul, what has God saved you from? About a week before uh, that encounter with God on the road to Damascus, I had reunited with a childhood friend of mine uh, who was a Christian. He invited me to the Damascus Church of God at the time, and I heard the message of the gospel. Uh, they gave an altar call. I went up front. I prayed that God would come into my heart. I went through all the emotions. I was crying, uh, but I left there. When I left that building, I knew there just was something missing, and what was missing was salvation because I returned right back into my lifestyle. I think it was John MacArthur who had said that, uh, uh, coined the phrase, easy believism. Uh, just come up, say a prayer, sign a dotted line, and then you're saved. No, it's a little more than that. Salvation is of the Lord. So I had left there, and um, I attended a, a field party with my brother and a few friends of ours. Uh, alcohol, drugs. We left that party to go to another party in Hydestown. We all dropped some acid, got a ride down there, partied for a little bit. We left there roughly around 3 a.m. We had no transportation, so we began to walk up 355, and our destination was Gaithersburg. Now, we were going to Gaithersburg because in the woods, I had set up a hammock, and this is where I would be sleeping since I had no place to go. Uh, roughly about near Fox Chapel between uh, 27 and 355, my brother said, hey, why don't you go to our sister's house who lives in Damascus? It was Saturday morning. Why don't you go crash there? He gave me a bus token. I still have that bus token today. Uh, There's no buses running that early that I could find. So I thought it was a good idea. So I'll just go to my sister's. I'll crash. No problem. So we departed ways, and I began to walk uh, up three, uh, up 27, and then I encountered God. God began to convict me. He opened my eyes to my life, my sin, my conscience bearing witness against me, and at that very moment, I hated my life. I hated my sin, uh, everything about me, and the condition that I was in. I was lost. I was without God. I was without hope. I had nothing, and, and I just loathed it. And I turned to God and asked God to forgive me. And at that very moment, I felt this warm, I would say, a honey sensation. I don't know what to describe it. From the top of my head, just poured right over me, and I was cleansed. I was forgiven. And this joy and this peace that I received at that moment uh, is indescribable. And I was so excited, I just, I, I wanted to tell somebody about it, but it was about 4 a.m., so I continued to walk, I was hitchhiking, uh, this car did come by, picked me up, and uh, I must have been a sight because when I saw myself in the mirror that morning, my hair was all wild, my eyes were wild, uh, but I told him all about what Jesus has done for me, and that he just, did you save me, and as we are going by a church, he said, hey, there's... There's a church, and I think it's uh, Saturday morning. They're serving breakfast. You want me to stop there? And I go, well, no, no, I, d I just want to get to my sister's house. So he, he took me all the way uh, to Damascus. He dropped me off at the front door. I went and knocked on the door. It's probably around 7 a.m. And uh, my sister came and opened the door, and 
uh, she knew there was something different. Yeah, I was excited. I, I told her everything that happened to me uh, coming up the road and, and my encounter with Christ. And I asked her, you know, do you have a Bible? And <laughs> so the Bible that she, that she found was uh, Man's Good News uh, or a Good News to Man, uh, New Testament. So she gave me that, and I began to read it. You know, I opened it up from on Matthew, and I read it through to Revelation. And uh, it's as if God had emptied me of everything and then began to fill me up with his word. And it was about three or four days later, my sister and her, and her husband came to me and said, you know, we would like you to live with us and stay with us, but you're going to have to get a job. I, no problem. Where's your newspaper? Flipped over the one ads, looked, saw there was an electrician helper, called the number, negotiated with the guy. He said, I'll be there in the morning to pick you up. He drove me down, picked me up, he drove me down to the union, down to uh, Local 26, signed me up with the uh, apprenticeship program, put me in the apprenticeship program, and uh, 33 years later, I'm still an electrician, and uh, I'm still saved. So... Thank you. So if we boast, we'll boast in the Lord, right? Amen. Do you believe that God could this morning save someone else? Do you believe it? You know, Scripture says that whoever boasts should boast in the Lord. Paul's boast is in the Lord because God saved him. God delivered him. God brought him from a very low place to the place he is now. And you may find yourself in a very low place. You may find yourself empty, trying to fill up that emptiness with things that will never, ever satisfy. You may not have a peace because God wants to make peace with you. Right now you're at war with God, you're running from God, but you need to like settle the issue and come to him with childlike faith and open your heart to Jesus and ask him to come into your life you see, religion is not going to get you there. Good works will never get you there. It's a gift. God wants to give you a gift. If your boast is in yourself, you just haven't received the gift yet. But if your boast is in God of what God has done, then you begin to understand what salvation is all about, of how Jesus laid down his life for you to show you the depth of his love. He wants to have a relationship with you. He wants you to know how good he is. He wants you to taste and see the goodness of the Lord. He wants you to experience his grace so that grace is only available to those who by faith receive it. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we're in a sacred moment because we've heard the gospel, we've heard the testimony from Paul of what change comes in a man's life who's saved. And there's some here, Lord, that are wrestling. It's been a long battle. <clears throat> there's been a lot of things filled up our life. We've chased after other things, idols that we have bowed down to, choices we've made that we regret, places we've gone that we shouldn't have gone, things we've said we shouldn't have said. But God, you're, a, you're full of compassion and mercy. You are slow to anger. Your steadfast love is from generation to generation. And each one of us has to decide for ourselves if we're going to follow you. So here in this place, just in the quietness of this place with our eyes closed,
their heads bowed, and online, those who are watching. To receive Jesus, we just want to open our hearts. We hear the knock at the door. Lord, we want to let you in. We don't want to fight you anymore. We don't want to run from you. We want to come to you. And when we begin to come to you, Lord, we know that you run to us and you embrace us. We ask, Lord, for the forgiveness of our sins. We ask that you put to our account righteousness because we are sinful. We ask, Lord, that we could follow you all the days of our life. And that, Lord, we would live a life that brings glory to your name. If that's something you just know you need to do, would you just lift up your hand wherever you are? You know it's your day. You know God's speaking to you. And if you're a believer, you know that you have a solemn obligation before you, before you God, to carry this gospel, to <clears throat> walk in the ways of the Lord, to, 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 to live your life as a sacrifice who, for the one who latest gave a sacrifice for you. So, Lord, would you enable us to have the faith of like Abraham, who continued to walk with you when it was hard, when it was difficult, when life didn't make sense, when he was waiting. Some here are just waiting, Lord. They're waiting and waiting. There's been a promise given to them, but the promise is not fulfilled yet. And they're waiting. And our temptation is to try to help you, God, as Abraham tried to help you by going with Sarah, with Hagar. God, give us the grace to be patient and to persevere and to not try to help you. You don't need our help. God, what you really want to do is you just want to walk with your children. and You want us to walk by faith. So God, enable us to walk by faith. Thank you for Paul's testimony. And thank you for all that have opened their heart to Jesus. And we pray in his name. Amen. Amen. The power of God. Whole, saved, redeemed, set free. There is a story that comes from time ago. A woman had spent her um, some time in Paris, and while she was in Paris, she went into a trinkets shop, uh, a thrift store, and there she saw a beautiful necklace, an amber necklace. So she negotiated the price. She came away with a necklace for $125. She brought it back to the States, and she wanted to have it appraised, so she took it to a jeweler and said, what do you think this is worth? And the jeweler examined it, and he said, I'll give you $25,000. That's a great upgrade. I said, why, why so much? I only paid 125 for it. You'll give me 25000 Well, inscribed on it is from Napoleon Bonaparte to Josephine, my wife. The value of that necklace increased because of its connection with the king. You know, when you get redeemed, you have great value and worth and significance. But you have gone from being relatively worthless to now having great worth because of the love of God. So, in this inclement weather, reflect upon the goodness of God to redeem you, to purchase you out of slavery, to make you whole again and set you free from whatever addiction has hounded your life. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we praise you 
we bless you, Lord. We worship you because your justice has been propitiated and your son Jesus has redeemed us. He's forgiven us and he's put to our account righteousness. We have been justified by faith because we have believed in your son, Jesus. And now, Lord, we pray that we would live a life that's worthy of that, that you would continue to increase our knowledge, our understanding, and that, God, we would live in a way that's so pleasing to you. Would the things that have formerly we've been ashamed of no longer be ashamed? We're not ashamed of the gospel. God, thank you for delivering Paul, finding him on that road, meeting him where he was, redeeming his soul, Lord, bringing him, to, bringing him to yourself, giving him a new life, putting away the old life, giving him Sharon and his children and grandchildren, his life as an electrician, his life as a Christian man. And I pray, Lord, you'll multiply his testimony in us. May what you heard this morning inspire you to share your story. God, each of these stories is so precious. Thank you for Paul and what you did in his life. And we pray together in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen. amen. God bless you. We'll see you next time.